Hello and welcome to Football Digest Extra Time with me, Ned Keaton. I'm joined this morning by John Cross, Chief Football Writer for The Mirror and Alex Milne, Assistant Online Sports Editor for The Daily Express. Chaps, I hope you're both well. Obviously, buoyed this morning by an England victory yesterday against Andorra. John, I'm going to come to you first. Um, England's first game back at Wembley since that game against Italy at the Euros. We're not allowed to mention that and and what happened in that too much. Um, But... You know, it, it was always going to be a win against Andorra, but but that's the kind of games that you want when England's last memory of playing at Wembley isn't so sweet. That this was just a nice game to kind of get back in the groove and and get rid of any demons and any any past ghosts that might still be existing from July. Yeah, it was, and it wasn't Ned. I thought I, I think it was the perfect opportunity to play into that script, uh, and yet you know England started quite well. I think Gareth Southgate's original intention was to kind of field and start with all three of those guys that, that, that missed the penalties and then got the subsequent abuse and the kind of then the sort of, you know, the public affection and love then, which went with the kind of the, you know, the sort of the kickback against it, if you like, the reaction against it. And obviously Saka was the only one. That, I mean, the reception he got before kickoff was was fantastic. So it kind of set the mood, you know, in the September sunshine, really. And then... You know, Lingard scores after, you know, a sort of a near miss early on. And then basically you think, oh, how many is this going to be? And actually it kind of, the game petered out a bit. A few things didn't work. A few things did really work. I thought Bellingham was terrific. I love this player so much. I think he's the next, you know, Steven Gerrard. I really do. I mean, he's got all the attributes. He drives forward from midfield. He's so good on the ball. He's so technical. His vision is fantastic. He's stylish. He's skillful. You know, he's going to be an England midfielder for the next decade plus, basically. And what he does at 18 is just frightening. You know, he runs a game, basically. Lingard then comes to the fore as well. But it's just, you could sense that, the you know, fans were getting a little bit frustrated. The paper aeroplanes return a bit before half-time. Trent Alexander-Arnold in midfield, what's all that about? You know, it's just, Gareth Southgate was obsessed with right-back, so he started with three, you know, sort of Reese James at right-back, Trippier left-back, you know, Alexander-Arnold. Um, midfield. Listen, I don't think that would necessarily would have happened if, if Sancho had been fit, for example, not going home Saturday. So I think that would have been different. Um, so I feel a bit frustrated. And then the st- start of the second half, Reese James ends up in holding midfield, you know, again, to, it felt like to accommodate Alexander-Arnold. You know, if you've got, you don't fancy picking Alexander-Arnold at right back or right wing back, you know, don't do it. Don't try and sort of force him into the team elsewhere. I, I do think that's a bit weird. Um, and then really the 62, 60 second minute change for the big guns, Kane, Mount, you know, Grealish changed everything. And then from then on, you know, they score 10 minutes later, don't we? The Harry Kane um, penalty. And then 4 0. It's always a question, I think it's a barometer of how many you score against kind of Andorra without wanting to sound horrendously patronizing, which I am. But I do think that basically, if you kind of score two, it's not enough. If you kind of, I mean, this is a team, by the way, 156 in the world, only ever won two World Cup qualifiers. Uh, three, sorry, they, they won the third this week, didn't they? So, you know, I mean, it's that, that puts it into context and, and you're measured by how many you score. I mean, what, what what does that say about it all? But overall, look, it finished quite well. There was a lull in the middle, but I actually thought it was a good day all round for England, really. 
Alex Jesse Lingard was at the double yesterday, but there's quite some talk about whether or not he should have moved on from Man United during the window. He's clearly someone that Gareth Southgate trusts, um, you know, used him so well during the World Cup in 2018, brought him back in after that brilliant spell against West Ham. Uh, so brilliant spell for West Ham uh, from, from January onwards. But there's every chance that between now and the next international window, the only game time that he's going to get is ironically against West Ham for Man United in the Carabao Cup mm-hmm. is the fact that he's not going to be playing regularly for Man United and the quality of options that they've got in, in those attacking areas in the positions that he wants to play in is that something that's going to hurt him when, when Southgate does come to pick his squad next month and, and possibly further down the line as well looking ahead to the World Cup I don't think necessarily and I, I do think we will see more of him than people expect you know I think the main thing is just so nice to see a happy firing Jesse Lingard. Uh, he's obviously spoken about his kind of mental health issues in the past few years, how he struggled at West um, at Man United, sorry, um, and obviously just became a bit of a shell of a player that we we first saw burst onto the scene. But to see him yesterday, just fully firing, really confident. Even that disallowed goal where he cheekily chipped the goalkeeper, which would have been a lovely addition to a uh, the hat trick, would have been great. But um, I think he will get opportunities at Man United going forward. I think. They were maybe between selling either him or Daniel James. I don't know exactly why they decided Dan James in the end, whether it was just that they got a more suitable offer or maybe James pushed a bit harder to go than Lingard did. Um, But I just feel for Lingard, there's unfinished business at United. You know, he's, he loves the club. He started brilliantly, obviously went off a boil, but what a story it would be if he can now come back, kind of help them win a bit of silverware, even if it's fleeting appearances off the bench or, as you touched on there, maybe Carabao Cup or FA Cup appearances more than anything else. Um, I still think that there's a lot to come from him. And we know that Southgate's very loyal to the players he trusts. He clearly trusts Lingard. Lingard has always performed every time he puts on England shirt. So it's not necessarily that if he's not getting the opportunities at Man United, he's not going to get them in England. And uh, it'll be fascinating to see how he, how he does going forward. John, just sticking with the midfield is something that you touched on already uh, in terms of two contrasting displays. You had Jude Bellingham uh, as an 18-year-old kind of really coming to the fore yesterday and, and kind of running the show at times, definitely in the first half from midfield. And then you've got Trent Alexander-Arnold, as you said, kind of shoehorned into a position. I mean, there had, there had been a, a few people talking, suggesting that maybe he could play midfield because of the, the range of passing that he's got on him, the way that he can spray the ball around. But... It, it was interesting to kind of see that it was almost an experiment that, that didn't work against, as you said, a side ranked 156 in the world. So if he's not going to work against them, probably not going to see him playing in a midfield again for England far too often. But with, with Jude Bellingham, though, on the other hand, as you said there, somebody could really, really force his way into contention, maybe for a starting spot in the World Cup in, in 12 months' time or just over 12 months' time. But definitely somebody who's going to be around the England squad for years and years to come. Yeah, I, I, I do think that, Ned. I really do. Because... I think Southgate's preferred formation is with starting with the back four, basically. And then I think then that means that you really, in Southgate's mind, you either go 4-3-3 or more commonly 4-2-3-1 if he has the players. And I think within that, you want to have two players then that sit, basically. And I think Bellingham has that physique, that that kind of uh, presence in the midfield to do that role. But much more than that, I think he he offers something as as you know as an eight rather than a sort of a you know an anchor man that basically he can be such a box to box play, such a driving force. I think why Southgate took him to the Euros and picked him so early at seventeen, you know, last season, frankly, was because he was dominating games in the Champions League. I think that Southgate uses the Champions League as a barometer. 
um, for you know his England players. Basically, he sees what they can do, what they you know what they're like, and at home with um, in, in Europe's Premier Club competition, as a sort of kind of thing. Well, is he going to work for uh, international level? The argument with Bellingham is absolutely yes. I mean, he's just such a good player. I do think you you know within. It's, you're looking at just over a year, basically, until Qatar, aren't you? And I think within that space of time, I think Bellingham will be starting for England. I think that he could even make a case for him starting a bit more in, in the in the Euros. Yes, that would have been super ambitious. But his mentality is that he wants to start. His mentality is that he, he, you know he's ready to start. And I think that you know he offers so much. I think that basically for that midfield because he can. You know, he's a. I do. Do think he's the closest thing to to Steven Gerrard, you know, since um, you know we've had since since Gerrard has retired, you know, and I just think I love the way he drives forward from it. I don't know whether he's sort of dragged back that he's done in the first half, which was just mind blowing. Basically, he's, you know, he exudes confidence and belief in his ability. You know, there's a touch of arrogance there, which is absolutely great. By the way, I'm not that's not a criticism. I think you need that, but he he will dominate games for me. Within, within sort of kind of four or five years, he will be dominating games. He will be England's go-to man, their most important player. For me, he's a generational talent who, frankly, you know, he's a generational talent that we talked about with, with a Rooney, with a Michael Owen or someone like that. And I think sometimes just because he's playing in Dortmund, you don't see him that often is, is the fact. Because honestly, if, he, if he'd signed for, you know, a, a top Premier League team, I'm not saying that necessarily he would have been managed or nurtured so well. So I think he has taken, him and his family have taken the best decision possible to go to Dortmund because he'll play. They manage young players brilliantly. They're given their head, they're given their confidence and they're given great opportunities. His career path is going to take him right to the very top, I think. I completely agree, absolutely. Just to jump on that quickly, it it seems mad to me that he's still just, does seem a bit, a little slightly underrated still. Um, I don't know if it's a fact he plays for Dortmund, but I mean, Sancho got much more hype last season than Bellingham did. I don't know if it's a positional thing because Sancho scores more, assists more maybe. But every time I see Bellingham, I just, I agree with you completely, John. I think shades of Steven Gerrard. Um, I'm also surprised there wasn't more talk about a transfer. I know like ten, people tend to stay at Dortmund for two, three years and then move on. But it, I was surprised that a team like Chelsea didn't come with a massive, massive bid this summer because he is that good. And uh, yeah, hopefully the future for England. Absolutely. Uh, another player who could well be the future for England, uh, definitely the present now, is uh, Bukayo Saka. John, as you touched on there, um, a, a great reception for him um, yesterday at Wembley. It was the loudest cheer, I think, if I'm right in saying, when his, when his name was read out on the team sheet, um, getting the goal as well. A, a nice birthday for him. But it, it, it's great to see kind of, not just even at Wembley yesterday, but, you know, in, even when he played against Tottenham earlier in, in pre-season as well and, and the reception that he's getting, you know, everyone's taking this kid to heart. He's, he's almost becoming like the nation's sweetheart now, isn't he? Yeah, South Southgate referenced this because he was at Brentford. But, you know, when he came on as a substitute for Arsenal in that Brentford game, which Arsenal were losing, I mean, the reception he got from all sides of the ground was amazing. You know, he's become an absolute national hero, a bit of an icon, basically. Someone that you look to as a kind of, as the as the antidote, basically, to the kind of the hate that sort of kind of followed the finals, really. And he's just kind of a perfect, you know, sort of example of, of that. He's such a good player, isn't he? That basically, you know, he was he was one of the sort of the standout players, you know, in a bit, it was a real mishmash performance, largely because you make 11 changes, which is pretty unprecedented. And well, what do you expect sort of thing, really? But he's so, 
comfortable on the ball. He's so adaptable. He plays in various positions, you know, and he's such a good player. And basically really, you know, he's involved in one of the goals, scored a goal. And then basically it's just, you know, England know that, that, that he's a super player that they can rely on. It's, it's difficult, isn't it? Because it feels like he's been around for, for, for ages. And he's a bit like Bellingham in, in many ways. Because I kind of, I was, did, did a sort of Europa League game when Arsenal were playing in Germany. And, and, and frankly, you know, he sort of started without much of a fanfare, you know, played so well in that game. I think it was Eintracht Frankfurt and just burst on the scene. And then spoke to him afterwards. And you think, wow, what an intelligent guy this is and he's I think his popularity amongst the squad shows what a fantastic character he is he really is you know he's away from your kind of typical uh, footballer and he's just a little bit different good sense of humour lovely personality Alex, one player who got a chance yesterday but didn't necessarily take it as well was uh, Patrick Bamford in attack. Had done so well for Leeds since they come back to the Premier League. Got a chance on his birthday as well. Another birthday boy like Bakayo Saka, but unlike Bakayo, didn't manage to mark the occasion with the goal that he probably was craving on his England debut. Yeah, no, it was a bit disappointing for him. Um, I've always been of the opinion that Bamford isn't quite international level. I think he's in that kind of mid-range Premier League striker who you know does a very good job for Leeds. Uh, but when you consider the options England have in you know, Kane, Ings, Calvert-Lewin, I don't think he's quite at that level personally. Um, and obviously because of that competition for places, you've really got to take your chance when you get it. And he'll be kicking himself. I think there's one that, one that he kind of scuffed wide when the goal was gaping where you think for Leeds normally you'd bury that. Um, but yeah, I, I just think... He might get another chance. I don't think he's going to be completely out of uh, Gareth Southgate's thinking, but he'll be he'll be really ruining the fact he didn't make more of his opportunity and uh, maybe pop up with a goal. Yeah, you do wonder whether or not Dominic Calvert-Lewin kind of watched it yesterday, uh, you know, whilst he's out injured and kind of thought, yeah, I've, I've still got the role as, as Kane's backup. Um, next up for England on Wednesday is a match against Poland, the way to Poland. Um, Southgate made 11 changes for the weekend game against Andorra. He's going to make a string of changes again, obviously, for, for the game against Poland. But John, was there anyone yesterday, and I'm probably thinking about Jesse Lingard here when I say it, but was there anyone yesterday who may have played their way into Southgate's thinking for that start at 11? Yeah, I do think Lingard probably presented a case. I have to say, I think he's going to go back to the team that, that won in Hungary. Um, you know what? I do think, in a way, because of the crowd trouble and this kind of, you know, the reaction, the volatile nature of it, you know, some allegations of racism as well against England players, um, I, I, I think the, the quality of that performance and the impressive nature of that victory in Hungary has been a bit lost. And I honestly, I think that that was one of the best performances under, under Southgate, basically. I do think that it was a dull first half, but frankly, they were managing the game. Hungary have been quite intimidating, quite good at home. They're not a very good side, but they're quite difficult to break down and they're not very ambitious. But England absolutely smashed them to bits in the second half. It's, you know, you still got to go away from home and win in that sort of style. It takes some doing. And, you know, they had probably, what, two or three other great chances. And, and, and frankly, you know, they could have won by even more. And the performance was so good. And so I think then basically there won't be too much hesitation if everyone is fit from Southgate's perspective, I think, to go back to that. He's quite good, I think, at boxing games off and saying, well, that, you know, that performance and that player did well in that game. Let's move on to the next. Because who, frankly, would you replace? That's the issue. I think he's, you know, he's found a sort of a real 
combination, isn't it, of, of players that work and, you know, because you couldn't really replace, you know, Rice and Phillips who, who work really well. You know, it's, it's difficult. Mount, you know, I think in, in Southgate's mind is, is irreplaceable. And, and, you know, there would be, you know, hell to pay if he dare drop sort of Jack Grealish for, for Jesse Lingard, which might be the obvious one. It's just, you know, people wouldn't go for it, would they? You know, so, so I do think he'll probably stick with the team that actually won so impressively in Hungary. I think it's arguably, said this last week, but arguably England's hardest game in the group, simply away to Poland. You know, Poland were, were quite good at, at Wembley and then basically, you know, England were sort of kind of running on empty by then and, you know, I think Poland will be, will be a much tougher game, I think. Away from England, there were obviously a, a host of other nations. Again, you know, lots of World Cup qualifiers taking place the world over. We're going to come on to the home nations just a little bit, but I do have to, to kind of ask you both for your views on what happened in Brazil overnight. Completely farcical scenes um, where the game kicked off against Argentina and then within five minutes, Brazilian health officials are storming the pitch to try and quarantine uh, the Premier League four, as we're now christened them, of uh, Emiliano Martinez, Christian Romero and Giovanni Lachelso. I'm sure if Emi Buendia was on the pitch as well they probably would have been making a beeline for him too uh, the game was abandoned um, it's unclear yet whether or not they'll replay it chances are they probably won't given how condensed and how they've had to move around international windows already because of COVID so now this is just another uh, you know a, a farcical situation to, to happen in South America um, Alex I just wanted to, to really get your thoughts on it I mean you know you probably share the same view as myself that it's just completely bizarre when you saw this kind of story breaking and, and what was happening yeah, I mean, look, I followed football for 20 years and I kind of thought I'd seen pretty much everything, everything possible on a football pitch. But then uh, that was something completely new to me. Um, yeah, obviously, far school. Look, I've, had the, um, I've had the privilege of going to uh, games in Argentina, Brazil, when I was traveling around South America. And it's just another level in terms of spectacle, the color, the noise, the atmosphere. And yet they do things like this and just completely shoot themselves in the foot, um, become a bit of a laughing stock around the world. And it's another really embarrassing, farcical day for, uh, for South American football. Um, also, to take it back to a, a more domestic level, the man I feel quite sorry for is Nuno Espirito Santo because he must have thought, right, finally, I can kind of do my normal job. The transfer window's finished, the Harry Kane situation sorted. I've got a nice, relaxed international week now. And then now he's worried about, you know, two of his, two of his decent players maybe getting arrested or not, not being able to play. So it's utterly farcical. Um, I think Spurs, I've just seen Spurs are going to potentially find those players and it doesn't look like it's going to go any further than that. But um, yeah, just complete nonsense from start to finish. The, the best bit for me about it, John, was that um, the, the reason why the Brazilian health officials were storming the pitch was because apparently this, this Premier League quartet had said upon entry in Brazil that they hadn't been in the UK for 14 days. So much like Brazil is on our red list, we're on uh, a Brazilian red list as well. So reportedly they'd, they'd said to officials upon landing in Brazil that they hadn't been in the UK in the past 14 days. When of course, all you had to do was, you know, the Premier League is a global league, isn't it? You know, that everyone watches it everywhere. So I'm sure someone would have clocked a little bit earlier than perhaps perhaps five minutes into kickoff yesterday. But, but, but somehow we ended up in that situation. It, it's remarkable. It is remarkable. I do, you know, it is bizarre that, I mean, someone at the border basically hasn't said, I mean, blimey, if you join me in the queue 
Heathrow on on Friday night, basically uh, trying to get from, back from Budapest. You know, you fill in your passenger locator. <laughs> I mean, it's an absolute at the moment. It's so difficult to travel, and 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 frankly, what is the point? You know, you shouldn't. Basically, don't let them in the country if you're that way inclined. You're right, Ned. Everyone knows. Yes, it would have been embarrassing. I think the reason why they stopped the game five minutes in is to make a very public global display of their, you know, of their rule breaking, frankly, because I think it would have, yes, it would have created a story um, if those players had been sent back because they basically hadn't filled in the forms properly. Um, but it wouldn't have produced the global, you know, incredible scandal, basically, that that, that it has overnight. And I think they've basically been made... Um, you know, examples of, I must say, I don't, you know, I don't actually, I think if, you know, everyone basically needs to play by the rules, right? And, you know, the Premier League clubs came together and kind of had this very, very sort of kind of set way amongst each other. It was then down to the individual clubs then, I guess, to say, look, on you go, you can do this without without blessing. I think Villa were a little bit more accommodating, weren't they, than sort of kind of, you know, others. But I just think the clubs were left in an impossible situation. So, you know, players are incredibly passionate about playing for their country and, you know, they want to do it. And so, so to just blindly think that you can sort of kind of set up this kind of, you know, rule and the Premier League will support it and that will solve it. It never went away as a problem. And frankly, they, did, they were just, you know, kicking the sort of can down the road, basically. And sure enough, it's come to a head last night. But I do think, you know, for a lot of people, travel has become impossible. Why football thinks it's above that? I mean, there's been, you know, bubbles for Champions League games, special exemptions, left, right and centre. This one, they were told very specifically, no, you can't do it. And so they... Frankly, they tried to, you know, circumvent the rules. They tried to get around it and they've been caught out. And I do think that, you know, frankly, it's been coming. And I think that basically them trying to, you know, trying to circumvent the rules. Well, you know, they've got their comeuppance, frankly. And I'm more, you know, disappointed about sort of kind of the way the way it's played out with the players and the clubs, basically, than, than the sort of the Brazilian authorities. You know, I don't, you know. Yeah, I mean, they had it coming. <laughs> no winners, I think, from, from this no. situation at all. Um, a lot closer to home, Wales had a dramatic win in Belarus yesterday, Alex. Uh, Gareth Bale, leading by example, captain, fantastic, getting the hat-trick and, and a 93rd-minute winner as well. I think they spoke afterwards about, uh, Bale especially had spoken about how it reminded him of, of a narrow win and, and a late win over Andorra in qualifying for Euro 2016. This has kept Wales on track, hopefully, to, to kind of keep their name in contention for qualifying for the World Cup next year. Yeah, and again, it'd be, I mean, you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone who wouldn't begrudge Bale kind of the shot of a World Cup, um, obviously coming towards the end of his career. There's even been rumours about him retiring in recent years. I'm not sure how true that's going to be. Um, he clearly, clearly fancies at least one more big shot with Wales. Um, <laughs> just what a player. Just what a player, how he can drag his side through that, get a hat-trick. And I think the more you see him do stuff like that, the more, again, you look back to last season and think, what a failure of Jose Mourinho to not get that bail out on a regular basis. Obviously, injury problems, a clash of personalities there, but it's got to be seen as one of the one of the main reasons why things didn't work out for Mourinho at Tottenham, that failure to, to really bring out the best in him. Um, yeah, Wales looking good. I, I, I back them to do it. I really think they will. And um, it will be, again, one of these incredible stories to see Bale leading out the team in Qatar. 
Scotland as well, John. They're they're hoping to keep their name in the uh, in the running for for qualifying for the World Cup. A narrow win over Moldova, one nil. You'd like to think that when you do play those kind of sides at home, that, that you kind of do get a bigger win than that. But I think before kickoff, Steve Clark had said that he was only interested in the result. That the performance was secondary. It was a game that they just had to win. Didn't matter how they did it, uh, and they've done that. They managed to keep a, a, ahead of a big game for them midweek, isn't there? You know, to kind of really try and hammer home and and keep themselves in in the running for qualification for next year. Yeah, goals have been such an issue. I think Steve Clark has, you know, has done many good things. I think he's made them more solid. I think he's made them more resolute. Kind of, we saw that that you know examples of that in in the Euros. But frankly, it's it's always about the kind of the final third. You know, about the quality up front, about the kind of the creativity of of the sort of the you know of the playmakers, the exciting attacking players. And I just don't know quite how. Steve Clark sort of kind of resolves that because I I know what he's sort of said before match and he's sort of kind of tried to take the focus and the pressure off the players a little bit because you are expected to kind of put a few past that and it would have been nice to kind of, you know, bolster your confidence. But, you know, they're struggling so, so badly for goals. You know, fair play, they're harder to beat. But I I do think this is going to be, it's going to be a hard road, isn't it, basically? And I think... You know, as we saw with the Republic of Ireland, which we might come on to, but it's just like uh, you know, if you don't have that little bit of extra quality, then then the sort of the teams that we rather patronise and dis- dismiss as kind of lesser nations are catching up fast, and basically they don't roll over in the way that they used to, basically. And I do think that you know Scotland, until they solve that, either with a kind of a formation change or a bit more creativity, is goals is going to be the premium. You know, Clark has done such a good job, but hasn't solved that problem. Alex, as uh, John mentioned there, the Republic of Ireland also struggling for goals. Last week, they were two minutes away from beating Cristiano Ronaldo and Portugal. And, and at the weekend, they were two minutes away from losing to Azerbaijan at home. Um, quite frankly, goals are, are, are difficult for Ireland to come by, especially after Robbie Keane departed. I know, you know, we're both Spurs fans and we're, we're kind of still tracking Troy Parrott's development, but he's not going to be the striker that gets you all those goals. Adam Ede is not going to be the striker that, that wins you games and neither is Aaron Connolly. That is where I think it's probably going wrong for Ireland right now isn't it? Yeah, I mean, like, like you just touched on Troy Parrott, I mean, when you're relying on a, a 19-year-old kid who's kind of learning his trade in League One, it really sums up the, the lack of quality you've got. He's obviously a, a talented kid and one for the future, but you can't be relying on him to be kind of a first-team regular um, if you're going to go and qualify for a major tournament. Yeah, just, just that lack of star quality. The, they'd always, in the past, the great island seems to have at least one or two, you'd say, world-class or very close to those sort of players. You know, your Roy Keynes, your Robbie Keynes, uh, Damien Duff, these kind of star players who'd give you that bit extra. And I just look at that team now and there's not, there's not one player that really excites me, one player that I think, oh, I really want to watch watch Ireland for this reason. Um, so I think it's going to be a long old slog for them. And uh, I think they'll, they're going to fall short and probably need, need to have a good long look at where things are going wrong because they're just not producing the talent at the moment. No, I'll tell you what, it's a real cycle of negativity, isn't it? Mm. Because I do think that about, <laughs> I was sort of kind of, I wasn't watching the game intently, but as sort of as soon, as soon as it finished, I kind of got an immediate sort of kind of message from one of my, one of my best pals who's Irish and basically a very passionate Irishman. And he's just, you know, he's just, he's just not having the whole thing really. And it's just, he's been in this kind of real negative place. Could you look at the squad as Alex touched on there? How has it come to this? Yeah. You know, it's 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 the worst generation that I can. Well, I mean, you back to sort of kind of you know pre Jack Charlton, aren't you? Basically, oh. oh, it's the worst generation that, that 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 has been around that 
that nation then for more than 30 years, which is wow. a you know pretty sorry state of affairs. And yeah, have they gone the right way with the manager? Oh, I'm not sure about that. You know, it's, it was a gamble, wasn't it? It was a strange, strange, you know, kind of cycle that sort of kind of saw them get in. And it's, oh, I think there's difficult days ahead, you know, and maybe harder days to come because you look at look at the squad and it's, it's, it's bare. Yeah, you do wonder whether or not they're kind of regretting missing out on, you look at that England squad now and they've got Rare Island used to be so good at it in the past and taking English players with Irish parents. You know, Harry Kane's got an Irish family, Declan Rice, Jack Grealish, Patrick Bamford, you know, all of them would easily walk in and, and you know, obviously make Ireland a hell of a lot better. Um, but going north of the border, uh, Northern Ireland, though, they look to be warming up for a big game uh, against Switzerland on Wednesday uh, and, and they'll be confident going into that, you know, good away wins uh, against Lithuania and Estonia. But for a country like Northern Ireland, it would always be difficult in a group that contains Switzerland and Italy. It's just a case of kind of just trying to go out there and give a good performance, I suppose, on Wednesday. Who, who's, who's that director? Well, either or, to be fair. I forgot to, forgot to throw it to anyone. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess, you go, uh, a, similar, a similar situation to Republic of Ireland, really. I think there's a few more promising signs, but um, yeah, again, not, not that star quality, not really that player who's going to drag them through it. So uh, yeah, again, I'd worry for them, but big game on Wednesday for sure. Gents, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Really appreciate your time running the rule over uh, another busy international window. Of course, you can keep up to date with all of the latest happening from uh, from the England camps as well as the other home nations as well across the Mirror, across the Express and across the Star 2. Uh, but all that leads me to say is bye for now. <laughs>